cool. If I were to come up here and announce to you guys that I'm going to make some gigantic donation to church and come out with a big check, what would you guys think? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay. What would you you'd be? You'd be glad about the check. You'd be glad about the finances. What would you think of me and my heart? I would be arrogant. Yeah. Cool. That that sums it up pretty well. I'd be pretty arrogant. I'd come up here in my pride and uh, be like, oh, "I'm going to make this gigantic donation." You guys would first of all be like, "Where'd you get that money from?" And then secondly, you'd be, you'd be wondering uh, why I'm so prideful. Uh, this week. We're going to be looking at uh, sort of a similar story in the Gospel of Luke. If I just took your Bible away because you use your phone or your iPad, there's Bibles underneath the chair in front of you. All the chairs without stuff in the pocket have a Bible in them. And we're on page 880 in those Bibles if you're going to use one of those Bibles. Cool. Today we're going to look at uh, how Jesus interacts with the scribes, which is always fun. You know if you're reading a Gospel and you come to Jesus interacting with the scribes, that there's going to be a... Pretty sweet throwdown. Uh, and then we're going to get to how Jesus then speaks to uh, the disciples' hearts and to your hearts and to my hearts. Today's sermon is about you. Today's sermon's about me. And it's about what Jesus asks of us as his followers to give. And so we're going to enjoy that today. Uh, looking inside Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 45. Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 45. Uh, Let me pray, and then we can dive right into God's word. Let me pray. Lord, you are a God who is active, a God who loves us, and a God who desires for us to follow you with our whole hearts, Lord. We're going to see that today. I ask that you would speak through me. Lord, let the words that I say that are distracting or meaningless get out of the way and be forgotten, Lord. Please help me to step out of the way so that your Holy Spirit can work. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would convict those hearts that need conviction, encourage those hearts that need encouragement. Lord, help us all to walk humbly in your truth this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 20, verse 45. It says this, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, contributed all she had to live on. These two passages might seem unconnected a little bit, but I can tell you they're very connected and they're very relevant for your life and for my life as well. Um, Jesus starts off in verse 45 by addressing uh, his disciples. He's no longer just addressing the crowds or addressing everyone around him. He turns now to those followers who have been with him all along, those people who have been closest to him, and he starts to basically pass on some knowledge for Hey, you're going to be leading God's people, right? It's, when I leave and the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be leading these people. There's some things you need to know about leadership. There's some things you need to know about serving God. And he's going to start to pass some of those along. And so the first point in your notes, let's see if I can do this. There we go. It says, Jesus lovingly warns against false teachers. 
Jesus lovingly warns against false teachers. The blanks there are false and teachers. And they're in a different font, so you'll be able to pick up on it. He lovingly warns against false teachers. Now, I just read through this passage, and you're probably wondering, how is this loving? Jesus just slammed everything they're doing, and if he's lovingly warning against them, how is that a loving action? I don't really understand that. I'm glad you asked. That's a really good question. He tells the disciples, uh, don't be like these people. The scribes, if you've been following along with us in Luke 20, the scribes have been confronting Jesus at three different occasions. Verses 19, 20, and 26, the scribes have kind of combated Jesus. They've also done this before in Luke 19, 47. So you can, you can imagine this showdown now. Jesus isn't even addressing the scribes, though, at this point. He's addressing their behavior. He turns from simply addressing what they're doing to saying, Hey, disciples, listen. Uh, the scribes, they, they might look really cool. They might have all the right things down. But they're not walking with me. They're not walking in the truth. They have been trying to destroy Jesus. Now, Jesus tells them that they're not simply to be on guard against them, but they're to avoid being like them at all. They're to avoid being like the scribes at all. That is your next point. Uh, The disciples are to avoid becoming like the scribes. Now, a little bit of background for you. The scribes, this isn't coming from a bad place originally. You see, the scribes, um, the people of Israel had this whole revolt in the intertestamental period. It was called the Maccabean Revolt. You might have heard about it. Um, and the people fought against these Greek ideas and ideologies, and they held fast to what the Old Testament taught about their national identity. And what it ended up being is that they pursued God through keeping his commands, which is exactly what the Old Testament taught us. They, they stayed circumcised, and they avoided unclean things, and they fought against those who tried to push that on them. The Greeks literally tried to make them Greek, And they tried to do things like sacrifice pigs on the altar and stop circumcision altogether. They didn't want the Jews to have their own national identity. And so the people of Israel fought back and said, no, we're going to circumcise. We're going to make sure that we are God's people. We're not going to succumb to your ideas. We're not going to fall into those ways. We're not going to become Greek like you. And what ended up happening is God gave them deliverance. He ended up helping the people of Israel win this battle and win this fight And so now the Jews are all pumped. They are stoked. And they're saying, we were delivered from the hands of the Greeks because we held fast to God's commands. We didn't waver. We didn't give up. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to hold fast to his commands. And by the time we get to the New Testament, you see the Pharisees and you see the scribes and you see the rulers. And they become these legalistic people that are like, this is how God works is if we do A, B, C, and D. We're just going to make sure all these outward signs match up. And that way, God will appease um, his wrath. And he's not going to execute his wrath on us. He's going to love us like his people because we do these things. And so Jesus now is going to address this behavior and say, it's not the outward appearance. It's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. And Jesus has done this so many times in the Gospel of Luke already. He's just going to continue on here. Uh, He addresses in verse 46, Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. This wasn't just something that they did. It wasn't like they had a onesie or a bathrobe that they walked around in. These robes would distinguish them from other people. It would be like if 
if you and I all showed up somewhere in a t-shirt and uh, somebody else showed up in a suit, we'd be like, oh, that person's important, right, because they're wearing a suit. Um, don't think that's necessarily how it works, but that's usually where our mind goes. Uh, so these scribes are coming in their long robes, and you can imagine these long tassels on them. They walk in somewhere. Everyone knows they're there. Oh, that's a scribe because the way he's dressed. Uh, just like we'd recognize a police officer or a firefighter, they'd see a scribe and they'd be like, that guy's important. He's got his long robe. He's got his tassels. We look ridiculous now, but back then tassels were a big deal. They loved their places of honor at banquets. If you've spent any time in the New Testament or studied any backgrounds, you know that meals in the New Testament were a big deal. Who you invited to meals, who you ate with, who you fellowshiped with here, this was a big deal. Uh, what you might not know is that they seated people at meals according to their status. And so the, the, the best person would receive the best seat, and then it would go down from there. And so the scribes loved this. They'd be like, oh, we're going to go to this meal. It's going to be so embarrassing. We're going to have to sit at the front again, get the best food and serve first. Uh, the scribes loved this attention. They loved having the place of honor at banquets. He says next that they, uh, he says also they, they loved greetings in the marketplaces. I think our best modern connection to this would be kind of like a celebrity culture. Uh, where you see a scribe walk up and everyone's like, oh, there they are. There's the scribe. There's Kobe Bryant. Oh, my gosh, look at it. It's Tom Cruise. Uh, they loved uh, this kind of attention, the, the following, the flocking. They loved being somebody. They loved being noticed. And so they'd be greeted in marketplaces, scribe, scribe. And people would be trying to gather around them, and um, they'd have this whole herd of people coming with them. They loved that. He, he says next that they devour widows' houses. Now, widows' houses aren't made of gingerbread. And so devouring a widow's house doesn't mean that they're literally eating it. Um, hopefully none of you thought that. But if you did, that's okay. Uh, this can mean a couple of things, devouring widows' houses. It can mean either that they're taking advantage of the widow's estate, meaning like widows, they, don't, they didn't really have a way of making much money in the New Testament. Um, they didn't have a way of being supported because they're widowed. Um, and so they had what they had left. And he's saying you're devouring widows' houses by taking advantage of their estate. They have money left, and you're trying to take all of it from them. It's saying, this will please God if you keep giving. If you keep giving, if you keep giving, this will please God. Or it could mean that they're taking advantage of the hospitality that the widows are giving. Widows, uh, people in Bible times in general, uh, loved to give hospitality. This was a sign of um, some kind of respect and honor in the culture. If you gave hospitality, you'd be honored in a way. And so they, uh, they would welcome people into their house. They'd have people around. They'd be hospitable. And he's saying to the scribes, you're taking advantage of that. You're going there and you're taking what they have left to give um, and taking advantage of what these widows are offering. He says uh, they love their long prayers. For a pretense, they make long prayers. Uh, they, they come out there and they start praying out loud. We remember in Matthew 6, 5, Jesus addresses this. He says, um, don't just pray long prayers hoping that you'd be heard by your many words. Um, he's addressing the scribes. He's talking about the scribes here addressing the disciples saying they love their long prayers. 
they love the attention they get. Wow, that guy's praying so long. He must be really holy. Look how holy that guy is. He just keeps going and going. And he's a scribe. He's got these robes. So that guy is like extra holy. They don't truly address God in their prayers. They substitute length for substance and urgency in their prayer. Jesus told the disciples how to pray. When you pray, don't heap up many words. Don't try to go on and on just to fill time. Your Father knows what you need even before you ask. It's okay to have short prayers sometimes. Sometimes we don't have the words for prayers, and that's okay. God wants to hear from us. These descriptions of the scribes can be so amusingly, like, exaggerated, right? We can see this and be, oh, we, we don't walk around in our long robes. We don't even have robes. Uh, we don't make long prayers. Uh, I like to pray really short, and I get nervous in front of people, so check that one off the list. Uh, we don't devour widows' houses, and, and we don't like the seats of honor. But do we have our own ways that we're trying to serve ourselves? Do we have our own ways that we're trying to make life or ministry about us? instead of about God. Uh, this was convicting for me this week as I studied and started to realize that there are patterns and there are ways that we in the church can grab attention and can distract from God. We can try to grab attention and distract from God. This is a quote from uh, Joseph Bailey. He says, No person can foster the impression that he or she is great and then try to exalt a great God. You can't make life about you and then try to say, but God's also great, but I'm kind of like second best. Uh, you can't do that. Jeremiah also addresses the scribes' um, behavior earlier on in Jeremiah 7.6. He says that God will not dwell in the temple if they oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow. It is God's presence dwelling in the temple right here in Luke. Jesus is there, so it's kind of a confusing question, I know. Um, God's presence isn't dwelling in the temple currently. Uh, and so the reason for this, Jeremiah would say, is that you're oppressing the orphan and the widow and the alien. You're not doing this right. Those who are full of spirit and wisdom must care for the needy widows in their midst. Otherwise, they expose themselves as frauds. We must care for those in need. Otherwise, we expose ourselves as frauds. The next point in your notes is that hypocritical leaders elevate themselves at the cost of the needy. Hypocritical leaders elevate themselves at the cost of the needy. The scribes' actions were the opposite of the ones they were trying to cultivate. They were trying to encourage people to give. They were trying to encourage people to worship well. And they were trying to encourage people to pursue God but they themselves were wanting to be pursued. They were trying to get rich themselves, and they made everything about themselves. The gospel, the message of Scripture, is not a means for financial gain. It's not a means for financial gain. You can turn on your TV, go to TBN, and you'll notice that there's people there that are trying to sell the gospel for means of gain. Uh, they're trying to gain money off of the good news. This is what... Uh, Jesus is referring to here in um, Luke 20, addressing the scribes, saying, don't be like them. Don't try to exploit this for your own personal gain. Did you know that the disciples were actually tested on this very thing? They were tested on this in Acts chapter 8. You can turn there, Acts 8. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. It is the sixth, uh, fifth book in your New Testament. Fifth book. Acts 8 says this. Now when Simon, Simon was this magician who was going around trying to get attention, ironically. Simon saw the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon's like, this is a cool trick. I'd love to learn this one, and I can pay you for it. But Peter, of all people, Peter, this is awesome, says to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are of the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Pray for me to the Lord that nothing that you have said come upon me. Simon is just slammed here by Peter. Uh, Peter knows slamming all too well. He was slammed several times already in the book of Luke. Um, and Peter now is, uh, he's bold Peter. He's no longer like wimpy gospel Peter. He's in this place where he is seeing sin, seeing things pointed against God and saying, that, no, that doesn't fly here. It doesn't work anymore. Simon, you get out of here. May your silver perish with you. We're not going to take your money for this. So point number two in your notes, you guys are going to love this one. Jesus wants us to live the backwards life. Uh, if you don't get this one, we had a we had a Easter musical that the kids sung in. And one of the songs was, I want to live the backwards life. So there's your backwards life. I'm not, I'm not going to sing for you. <laughs> That's okay. There, there are gifts and there are things allotted to people and singing is not one of mine. Jesus wants us to live the backwards life. Uh, Luke 21, 1 through 4. Jesus looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, gave all that she had to live on. So picture with me Jesus, sitting here in the temple, watching people that he's created in his image walk up and drop things into this offering box that you can hear things clank around in and go down and some scholars even say it was being announced how much was being given like people would be like four hundred dollars i don't know they wouldn't say dollars um there would be like denarius or denarii um jesus is here watching this and he's not caring about the amounts. He's caring about the hearts behind the amounts. Now, there's one time in history where God has stepped down and interacted with human beings and said, I like this, don't like this, I like this, I don't like this. And now he's sitting here observing people. And if you're the disciples at this point, you're kind of like, this guy's probably God. I'm not exactly sure yet. Um, but if anyone had figured it out, they'd, I'd be terrified. Um, God watching every action that these people are doing. Um, he's seeing these 
rich people maybe carry more than they can and have other people with them trying to bring their deposits to drop off into this offering box. And Jesus is just watching. Person after person, scribes. And he's watching what they're putting in. Jesus said earlier already in Matthew 6, 2, when you give, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Uh, verse twenty, verse two of chapter twenty-one says, "And he saw the poor widow put in two small copper coins." He saw the poor widow put in two small copper coins, the equivalent of one one hundred and thirty-second of a denarius. Uh, if you don't know what a denarius, that's one day's wage. One one hundred and thirty-second of a denarius. She had two coins. She could have kept one. She could have had one two hundred and 64th of a denarius. Um, She didn't. A story in rabbinic literature has a priest turn away a woman who brings over a handful of a meal as an offering. But God in that literature says to accept it because she has brought her whole life. Jesus' interpretation of this widow's gift carries the same point. You see, these widows were often the poorest and the most helpless in society Uh, We already saw the scribes devouring their houses and taking advantage of their estates. The widows didn't have much to give. In fact, this widow, we we learned that this was the last that she had, these two copper coins. And so she gave all of herself. She didn't hold anything back from God. She gave what she had left. What What I want us to carry away from this is that giving is not merely financial. Giving is not merely financial. God's not concerned about your dollar. He's not. God's not going to go poor or bankrupt because you didn't give him a dollar. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He created the whole universe. He's not poor. He wasn't concerned about the pennies. He wasn't concerned about the hefty amounts. He was concerned about the people. He was concerned about their hearts. And we know that money is one of those things that can grab our hearts, that can lead us astray from God. And so God's saying, give that up. Let that one go. Don't hold on to that one with a tight fist, but allow me to have it. Because this has you. And so I want your heart. I want yourself. He doesn't need your dollar. He wants you. If this was truly all that this woman had, she is now more than just poor. She is a beggar. She now has nothing. God weighs our motivations. He weighs what's behind what we're doing. Why we're in ministry. Why we're in church on a Sunday. Why we're giving. That's either a terrifying thought or a huge comfort. It's either a terrifying thought or a huge comfort. So maybe you have to ask yourself today, what what way does this strike you? God knows your heart. He knows your motivations. And so how is this going to affect you in the way that you live and interact with his people? Verses 3 through 4, this widow's gift is so meager that it's hardly worth noticing. We don't even know if it was announced or if anybody said anything. It might not have even made a sound against the crazy amount of shekels and 
denarius that were already in the offering plate. It might not have even like made a dent or any noise or even been announced. But Jesus points this out. See, after the other people were donating, they were still rich. They still had money left. They didn't give sacrificially. But this woman had given everything that she had. She gave her whole self. Luke uses this incident to demonstrate the distinction between those who serve God and those who do not. Those who serve God and those who do not. Again, God's not after your dollar. He's after your heart. He wants you. Malachi 3.18 talks about this distinction between those who serve God and those who do not. My prayer and my desire for all of us is that we would be giving our heart to God. That that would be behind why we do ministry, why we're here on Sundays, why we do anything in life. That it would all be out of sacrifice and love for God. Point B, giving is sacrificial and reflects the heart. It's sacrificial and reflects the heart. Aristotle, not a theologian, says this, one's generosity is to be evaluated in terms of one's resources. People who are truly generous give in proportion to what they actually have. It is possible, therefore, that one who gives but little out of small resources is more generous than another. It's to be evaluated in proportion to what you actually have. So Jesus looks at this woman and he says, she has given more than all of these. But Jesus, it was one one hundred thirty second of a denarius. Was it really that much? Yes. She'd given her whole self. She'd given everything to God, saying, even if, even if you don't provide, I trust you. Even if this doesn't work out, I have faith that this will be glorifying to you. She's given everything into his hands, and she has no plan B. We hear of missionaries that do this, but how can we execute this in our own lives? How can we give everything to God and have no plan B, no fallback? As Americans, we are often planners, and that's a good thing, uh, especially with things like college. Um, As Christians, we need to understand that if our Christianity doesn't work out, we don't need to plan a plan B. That this is a sure thing. That Jesus, his words are true. He is a true person who truly lived and truly died for me and you. And so we don't need to hold back pieces of our heart. We don't need to hold back pieces of ourselves to protect ourselves, Jesus has it. He's created the universe and designed the way it works. Pretty sure he knows what he's doing with asking for all of us. You'll notice your application section is all empty. Oh, no. Uh, there are three, three little areas there. And, and as I was praying through this passage and preparing to give it to you, I was realizing that there are so many different applications for all of us. I'm going to go through four that I noticed. Um, but I want you to do is I want you to maybe be a little sensitive to the Holy Spirit and see what is God trying to teach you through these verses? What is God trying to teach you in these passages? Maybe write down some of those things and uh, the Holy Spirit can work on that in your own life. Let me give you a few options that I, I came across. The kingdom of God belongs to those who live their lives wholeheartedly to his service. And God will judge self-absorbed piety. 
The kingdom of God belongs to those who give their lives wholeheartedly to his service. And God will judge self-absorbed piety. Meaning it's not about you. It can't be about you, especially in the kingdom of God. It has to be about him. It's a dangerous game to make this about you. When God is the creator of the universe, when he's in control of everything, it cannot be about you. It cannot be about me. I think that's a hard one, too. I think that we realize that, but sometimes our actions don't always match up. Like, I I know that that's true for me, and that was true for me this week as I prepared, that I can be a pretty selfish person. I can just be like, no, you know what? I want that, and I'm going to have that, and uh, no one's really going to stop me because I can. Um, that, That is, I think, our natural attitude. And so to say that we have to give our lives fully to God's service is to push against this in a way and say like that that doesn't fly anymore in the kingdom that's not going to work peter's going to come and give us a smackdown if that's what it's about second point is be like the macedonians not just financially but with your life second corinthians 8 talks about this the macedonians were models of this kind of giving paul says here they gave themselves first of all to the lord them everything that encompasses them Uh, We know it's true that if we became a Christian, we are dead to self and alive in Christ. You and your desires don't matter now in light of who Jesus is. The Macedonians gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. Giving is not merely financial. It's not the dollar. It's the heart. It's your life. It's not merely financial. That's why it gets to be weird as a pastor to talk about giving because that's what a lot of false teachers do. Um, And so we want to be careful with that. But we do want you to realize, and I want me to realize, that this is not about the money. It's about your heart. That's why we're here. That's why we do this. Uh, The implication is that God welcomes giving that comes out of a deep sacrifice, not gifts that are merely the leftovers of abundance. This explains why tithing is not a New Testament principle. Because it allows one to ignore how much one keeps. Tithing is not a New Testament principle because it allows one to ignore how much one keeps. Uh, We know the verses, God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, God desires for us to give unto him. Uh, What's it going to cost us? What is our giving going to cost us? Not merely financially, but personally, what will it cost Last one before C.S. Lewis offers us some advice. God does not want your money. He wants you. And so are you holding back? Are you saving your energy? Are you saving your time? Are you saving your calendar? Are you doing this for God and his work? Or are you saving it for yourself because you deserve this? Are you saving your time, your money, your calendar, your energy for God? Or are you saving it for yourself because you have deemed yourself worthy of this? C.S. Lewis says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. They ought to be things that we, would, we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. C.S. Lewis's point is that we are to give sacrificially, not only of our finances, but also of ourselves. 
So hopefully there's something in there that the Holy Spirit's convicting you with and trying to use in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you so much for your sacrifice, for giving us life. Lord, we know that we need to lay our lives down in order to follow you well, to pick up our cross and humbly submit to you, Lord. Help us to do that. Help us to walk humbly with you, Lord, and give you praise and worship for the sacrifice you've given us. Be with us this week and help us to remember that in Jesus' name. Amen.